Welcome to the Not All of a Night podcast. I'm your host, Romy Moreno, and today we have Seth Nadler, fitness coach. I wanted to bring him on here because I know a lot of fitness coaches, and just my interactions with you have been, like from the moment I met you, I knew that you were like so skilled and you really knew what the hell you were talking about and understood the body and what you were doing. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me on. Awesome. We're, we're already like laughing and stuff because before we, we got on the podcast, we've been talking like we both have ADHD. So I'm like, don't move, don't bang anything, sit still. So to tell two people. <laughs> and then here I am where it's like, if I'm having a conversation, the best way to do it is to walk laps. Yeah, we're not doing that today. No. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to practice the sitting, not moving and just being. So Seth, um, can you share a little bit about like what your approach is? when you have a new client or if somebody comes to you and they're just, you know, maybe have an injury or, or whatnot. Okay. Um, so my approach is constantly changing. I think now I know that a lot of that has to do with the ADHD is always having some new interest, something that want, you know, a direction you want to go into, you learn something new in those late night rabbit holes. Really what I try to focus on the most is First, finding out really why that they're even considering coaching. It's the usually the hardest thing to get out of a client early on is really why are they doing it? Because everyone has a general idea of why they've decided to go to the gym or pursue trying to find a coach. It's usually, oh, I want to lose weight and get toned or lose weight and put on muscle, get stronger. But people don't really think in depth about their goals right? They're very surface level about them. They don't take the time to really think about what would these changes make in my life day to day if I actually achieve them. So they're thinking, I'm just going to lose a little bit of weight and feel better, but they don't think about the impact it's going to have on their life. So when I get in a new client, I want to find out what gets them to tick, what has caused them to maybe make the second, third, fourth, fifth attempt at trying to finally get healthy. Um, and really hone in on that. And then from there, um, I'm analyzing you the moment you walk through the door. I'm watching how you walk, how your feet turn out, right? Where your head position is. When you go to stand, right? What side do you like to lean to? Um, even when we're sitting down, you're someone who leans to the right, you cross your right leg. What are the most common things we're going to see when you're just standing still? And then from there, the, to me, the most important thing has always been finding out what's not working in the body, what dysfunctions there are. Um, a little bit of background for me was I was an athlete for pretty much the entirety of my life. I tried every sport and I was pretty much good at everything that I tried. But when I was working out and working out with different coaches in different sports, it always seemed like we were bodybuilding. Hmm. Right? A lot of strength and conditioning coaches and a lot of programs at high schools and you know rec teams they're really just doing what they did 30 years ago when they were athletes. So I always knew that there had to be something different. And then when I started kickboxing, boxing, and training in MMA, noticing that our strength and conditioning programs were run a bunch of miles, do a bunch of push-ups, a bunch of sit-ups, a bunch of squats. I knew then there had to be a better way of doing it. But the most, I would say, the, the thing that really started to jump out at me was I was committed to the strength and conditioning programs, but I was getting hurt all the time. My injuries were constant. 
I got, I broke my back two times when I was 14 and 15. Wow. I broke my elbow, broke my feet, tore my rotator cuffs, tore, I had all these injuries that kept me back, kept me back. And that's when I said, okay, having the muscle being strong, it's great. Looking a certain way is great, but I realized very early on, I care more about how I feel. And some people don't realize that they can feel a certain way, right? Some people accept, most people accept knee pain. Why? Your mom, your dad had it. You're told right. that it's hereditary. And you're so used to it that you don't know any other way. Yeah. It's like when you wear, put on glasses for the first time and you're like, oh shit, I could see. Is this what the world is supposed to look like? Right. Or like when, because uh, we both said that we got diagnosed later in life with ADD, right. the first time taking something that kind of calmed you down a little bit, you go, oh, wow. oh shit, is this what most normal people like see when they're looking at things? Uh, the first time that I got diagnosed and they gave me like a low uh, prescription of Adderall, taking it and just really staring at clouds for 10 minutes. And that's it, just staring at the clouds and like, oh, this is kind of nice. So I guess back to the how my approach with the clients is I just want people to feel good. I want people to move better, minimize pain, eliminate pain if possible. You know, if, if we don't have any structural problems, we haven't had any soft tissue damage, any real injuries, most pain is very manageable. Um, it's just we, we don't move well and we don't exercise to get ourselves out of pain. We exercise to look good. We prioritize aesthetics versus quality of movement, right. which most people, like I said, don't realize. They just don't know. They, they just you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Right. And most people don't realize how poor they move or uh, that they even have these imbalances. Right. Most people don't know a lot about fitness. A lot know? of coaches. A lot of coaches don't, don't know. I just made a video that said eighty-five like percent <laughs> of us coaches are trash. Yeah. We're, we're workout enthusiasts. Yeah. People always ask me because you know I'm I don't take on clients for personal training anymore, and they're uh -huh. like, "Oh, do you know like a good?" trainer and for me to refer somebody to somebody else it takes a lot it takes a lot but i definitely recommend you because i, I i've trained with you before mm -hmm. you, we did a session together just and we also did the the family dut at ufc oh, with my yeah. kid that's how i met you right. and my kid was like oh he's so nice i'm like yeah i'm like you're not from here you're from up north aren't you and I knew it right away. Do you know what's funny is the disc a little disclaimer about that. I always consider myself somebody who doesn't really care for kids that much. But it says you do such a great job in that class. Me either. I, I don't teach like kids yoga and stuff like that. I just I don't have patience. Yeah, for the kids. patience for it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> after a certain age, once they're around 10, 11, and they're usually like little shitheads. Yeah. Because I was a shithead. Mm -hmm. You know, I was a I was a, a fuck up as a kid. So I can like understand that and know how to get to it. But as like a small kid who's just not going to pay attention for more than five seconds, I'm like, dude, I'm having a hard time paying attention. <laughs> if we're both having a hard time paying attention, we're not going to make any you progress. You just see me with my kids, <laughs> with the younger one. It's it's not easy. So I definitely recommend you as a coach. And But you just walking around like the gym and seeing what certain coaches are doing with their clients, I cringe so hard. And it's like you are going to hurt them even more right? because you don't understand, right? And then they also have the mentality of like, oh, I want them to look good because unless they get the results or they're sore tomorrow and they can't walk up the stairs, then that means they didn't get a good workout. Right, yeah. There's which the, is 
trash. Like mm-hmm. you said. There's, trash. um, I think it was, uh, he's a mobility coach, Kelly Starrett. He had said, I have, uh, my, my five-year-old can program a workout that you're never going to finish. It doesn't mean it's a good workout. Right. You know, that goal of, you know, you'll sometimes see coaches record their clients after a hard leg day, having trouble walking down the stairs. Mm-hmm. Like that shouldn't be the goal. Right. Right. I mean, first month when you're coming off the couch. Yeah. But if we're chasing soreness, we're chasing those, you know, those type of workouts where you feel just beat up when you leave, like that's just a telltale sign of something else that's going to come down the road. Right. You know, and then they don't do the recovery that they should in order to like even help. Right. That workout. This kind of just goes into the idea that like in fitness, it's all about trends. So for a long time, people were, oh, you're maybe you're overtrained, right? And then it goes, no, most people aren't actually overtrained. They're probably just under-recovered, right? Right? Because most people, especially now, we're on our phones. We're, we're not always super dialed into those workouts. So is the intensity always there? No, it's, but we don't prioritize our sleep, our nutrition. We don't listen to our bodies enough, you know? And that's where we're kind of coming from with you working with a lot of coaches, it's, just a lot of volume, beating up the body, just chasing sets and reps and getting those numbers up and not saying, well, okay, how do you feel today? Right? I'm a little sluggish. I'm a little, you know, didn't sleep so well. I'm having a hard time waking up. It's your body telling you, okay, let's keep it down a little bit. Let's let's scale it back. Let's focus on some recovery. Bring the intensity down. But if you're working with a lot of coaches, they're bodybuilding coaches. They're aesthetically based. They know how, well, if we train the be- the legs, the back, the buys, the chest, the tries, right? Oh, don't do too much cardio because it's going to diminish your, your muscle gains. Your gains. Yeah. It's like, okay, but what, what about, about your, your heart, heart health? What about your lungs? <laughs> you know, I always say this. I always say this to clients when I'm trying to, because the biggest thing with coaching is trying to get people to buy into your vision, mm-hmm. right? And I always tell people the resistance, the weight training for lack of a better term is is the body work it's you keeping the frame of the car in shape it's not allowing it to rust out whereas all your cardio work is changing the oil making sure there's you know the fluids are getting your checkups making sure it keeps running right so weight training is the frame of the car where all your cardio that's the engine and a lot of coaches don't put enough emphasis onto the cardio side of things or they just have you doing 20 minutes walking on the treadmill as a cool down after your session instead of genuinely trying to elevate all levels of your fitness. You know what it is? Coaching is uh, perceived, I feel like, as an easy job. Like an e- and it, and it, it's an easy field to break into. I mean, I did my first like NASM PT cert when I was 17. I read the book in three weeks, didn't study, went took the test, finished a two-hour test in 45 minutes. You know, that's crazy. Having that you have ADHD that you did so well, I did too. I finished mine in 35 minutes. First try. So did you have to go to a testing center? Yeah. So I went, I I screamed through it, didn't even bother to like double check. Get up to go tell the lady to submit it. She goes, you better sit down and look over that. I'm all right. Mm Mm-hmm. She goes, no, 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 trust me, you need to go check that out. There's no way you're going to pass that. I'm like, okay. And it's an, it's an, it tells you right there, it's an automatic pass or fail. Right. Right. They don't tell you the score. You have to like get yeah. that later. 
So I'm like, no, I'm good. She's And she's smirking at me. She goes, okay, see you next week. And then you just see her face drop. And I go, oh, it passed, right? Yeah. When I took mine, same thing. I was the only one there. It was like 35 minutes. And the thing is that like the way that I studied, I memorized a lot of like the the charts. So I knew like how everything flowed together. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that we could have paper and, and pencil, right? So I'm like, we could use that. He's like, yeah. Before I even started the test, I started doing like from memory the charts. And he's looking at me like I'm some psycho. Like, what are you doing? I took the test 35 minutes and then I got up and he was like, are you done? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, did you pass? I'm like, I don't know. Aren't you supposed to tell me? And he's like, that was really fast. Are you sure? And I'm like, I mean, I went over it twice. It is what it is. And I was on maternity leave. And I was like, I need to pass this now because I'm not going to have time to study or anything when I get back to work. And I passed it. And I was so excited. And as I'm leaving, I'm backing out and I go and I hit the guy's car. The trainer's car. I was so excited. I'm like, oh, fuck. So as I'm leaving, I back up into the guy's car and I'm just like so excited. I'm like, oh, shit, now I have to deal with this. It's like, what a downer. I'm like so happy, but it's just, yeah. Are you a good driver? I think I'm a pretty good driver. I'm a very, very alert, very aggressive driver. I'm terrible. Um, You're from Miami, right? I'm originally from New York. Did you learn how to drive in New York? No. Okay. No. How to drive down here? Yes. That explains it. (laughs) I hate driving. Like if somebody could just drive for me all the time, it's just great. No, I love to drive. Um, I'm extremely aggressive. I mean, on my Instagram, I do use, I do traffic rants sometimes um, because I get frustrated with no, how I watch them. <laughs> bad the fucking drivers are in this city. And it's funny. I constantly are meeting, especially recently, like since the pandemic, a lot of people are moving from California and New York. And within the first 10 minutes of a conversation with them, like the fucking drivers, I'm like, I know they're, and it's the, there's not nearly as many cars on the road as there is in New York or in the Northeast in general. Everyone is driving like they have nowhere to be. And they're probably driving on a road they drive on every day. And yet somehow don't remember where they have to turn. And they do that, that crazy cut across four lanes <laughs> just to turn. And like, I've been cut off by the same car at the same time on the same road multiple times. I'm like, have you not learned this? It's part of the trend. You know? Um, yeah. So. No, I'm great at hitting the curves. My son just looks at me now. He's just like, like he doesn't, he just doesn't even react anymore. Yeah, I uh, I will be the one to volunteer to drive anywhere, you know. Um, yeah, I j- actually when I was in high school, sometimes I used to just skip school, roll up like four blunts, and just go drive for three four hours. <laughs> Literally, just me and my I I would pull my brother out of class, but like yeah, let's just go on like a two three hour blood ride. Mm-hmm. I had this '93 Honda Civic. I had you remember the old school head units that you used to be able to like detach. Yes. You know what I mean. I had like one of those shitty Sony Explode head units, and I can remember one of uh, Dr. Dre two thousand and uh, his two thousand one album got stuck in there. So no. we were just listening to that on like endless blood rides for probably a year. Wow. Yeah, just constantly listening to that album. It's a great album. So, it is. It really is though. Know. So how do you feel like your ADHD? Um, diagnosis has changed your life so ADHD diagnosis you want to hear about how I 
found, yes. like I found the diagnosis was so during the pandemic, I was married at the time, uh, me and the ex-wife, she's in, she's in the service industry. I'm in a service industry. We didn't know what was going to happen. Um, also, they were telling us that all the old people are going to die. So I'm like, okay, well, I haven't seen my mom really much in four years. So we actually, our lease was up. We moved back um, to be close to family. And I had at that point been coaching for 14 years. I've been doing this since I was 14. Uh, I started off as like doing a assistant for boxing and kickboxing. And I just got burnt out working at the fucking UFC gym. That shit show of a gym. Corporate gyms in general, terrible. And so when we moved, I said, you know what? I need to take a break. I need, I'm, I'm burnt out. I don't even like this anymore. I wasn't working out. So I started working for this home remodeling company and fucking all I did was walk door to door, marketing, banging on doors, setting appointments. And I get hurt because somebody's dog jumps at me, right? And I turn my head real fast to like see what's happening. And I cause like some crazy whiplash in my neck. So I go on workers comp, right? And now, mind you, you have ADD. What is the worst thing for us to do? Sit around with nothing to do. Right. So I'm on workers comp. I'm sitting there. It's winter. And where was it that you were living at the time? In Connecticut. Okay. Okay. That's where I'm originally right. from. And I'm just sitting there. And for the last, at that point, from like 23 to then 20, what, 8, 27, whatever it was. I've been dealing with anxiety and levels of depression for the first time in my entire life. That shit got bad. I mean, I'm just sitting there feeling like I'm wasting away, nothing's happening. So I just start fucking scrolling and start reading into things. I'm like, that sounds a lot like my day to day. Kept looking, kept looking. I said, I think I have ADHD. So I went, I contacted, I did it over Zoom. I contacted a, a therapist. So I go into that, uh, that assessment and she goes so you think you have ADHD I go yep she goes why do you think that I go well, there's a lot of reasons she goes well tell me about yourself so she lets me talk for 20 straight minutes and when that I, was enough <laughs> and when I'm done I look at her so I go so, I go so doc what you think she goes I knew within the first 20 seconds I go how'd you know she goes you're I told you to start at the beginning and you go, well, when I was three and a half years old, I remember waking up, being conscious for the first time, getting up and going, having an exit. She goes, you remembered your first like conscious memory to the T. She goes, you have to have some kind of like neurodivergence. You're definitely ADHD. So she wow, goes, I didn't know that that was a ADHD thing. My older son has a really good memory. Mm -hmm. It's um, yeah. Having really good memory recall. I have a lot of trauma, so my trauma brain overpowers that. <laughs> yeah, so you kind of like compartmentalize things and throw it away. Right. Yeah, no, for me, I talk in movie references because I, after watching a movie once or twice, I can pretty much remember almost everything that's in that's it. That's a superpower. Yeah. Music, can't remember a lyric to save my life. It's the visual. I need, I need to see what's happening. The visual aid helps me. So, yeah, so my memory has always been really, really good, which is a nice thing and it's a terrible thing when you get into arguments with people because you're like don't you dare fucking tell me i'm misremembering this trust me i because when i recall something i can you see it like a i'm movie. there I, I'm, I'm i can kind of you'll see me start moving around and like i'll start staring at the wall because i'm i'm in my head picturing it mm -hmm. um so yes yeah, she, she goes okay well i'm gonna try on a low dose of adderall like, i think she gave me like a 10 milligram immediate 
dose. So I go fill the script. And that's what I said before. I go take my dog for a walk to the park. Kicks in. And I'm just looking at the clouds. And I go, oh my God. Just the clear the clarity that I've never had. It was immediate. I go, oh, this is some nice shit. So the awareness that I had from that point going forward was fantastic. And then just being able to tell myself I'm going to do something and do it. Like executive dysfunction was my biggest struggle. I knew what I had to do. You just get stuck in that that purgatory, that that state where you're... You don't take the action. It's like like you're heavy. Yeah. And then your anxiety increases and then the whole day's been wasted and then you're sitting there going, oh, I'm a piece of shit. Right. And it just rolls over into the next day. Um, so the, the self-awareness of being able to now be able to label certain things, realize when I'm having uh, a particularly rough day focusing, but also one of the biggest things for me has been organization. I was the crumpled homework in the bottom of the bag. Like teachers hated me because I was just like, I got it. It's I guarantee you this is a fucking hundred. It mm-hmm. just looks like shit. Just being able to start to put things into any kind of order was huge for me. And it took my coat. That was the thing that was for me missing in my coaching as well. It's very hard to stay organized. And maybe I can do it for a couple weeks, but then, you know, you get that like that dopamine drop off that burnout. You're like, I don't want to do this anymore. Right. And, and once you're not interested in something, game over. It's, it's just over. yeah, it's, it's game over. Absolutely over. Which has been, which is, like I said, it's it's a blessing because it gets you into these one to two week crams where you're learning everything you possibly can about this new thing. So you have a little something to throw like in, you know, in the back, maybe, maybe you use it 99% of it. You're never going to use mm-hmm. you know, all this useless throwaway information. But for coaching, it's gotten me, to, I'm really into calisthenics. I'm going to learn everything I can until I get burnt out. And then now I'm into powerlifting or performance or whatever the different Avenue was. It was, it, I had this ability to, to just dive in and hyper-focus on it, learn you know, learn a three-month course inside of a couple of weeks. Just get it done. And then and then being aware of of that attention deficit disorder, um, being able to just consolidate everything and start to have some real rhyme and reason to things. So it Were you a hyper kid? I don't think I was hyper. Like, like, I wouldn't call myself hyperactive. I was super active. I was always playing sports. I was always outside. So you had an outlet for the energy. Yes. Yeah, because... What I've learned is that with girls, it's different when they have ADHD. They're not usually, some are, but some are not very hyperactive. So like in my case, because I got good grades, because I was always calm and shy or whatever, they just thought that I was normal, Mm -hmm. right? But for me to learn something, that shit was hard. I'm not a school person at all. When I got older and I was diagnosed, same thing, I was given Adderall. I was just like, wow, I'm not an idiot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So what happens is that girls are not diagnosed and they start building anxiety because they can't get their assignments done. They're not able to show up or they're always late or whatever. So they start getting anxiety and then they get depressed because they feel like a shitty person. So then as they get older, they're treated for anxiety and depression versus the the root cause, which is the ADHD. Right. So that was, I think, a big thing for me too, was I was dealing with the anxiety and the depression. 
And I realized very quickly that it was heavily linked to my ADHD because, and this always sounds kind of like a, like a brag, but it's really not meant to be. I've always had a pretty good amount of self-awareness. So I could be sitting in a room and understand, ah, I'm probably one of the more intelligent people sitting here. Like, I know that what's going through my mind is a lot deeper than what's going through your mind. But then there's people around me that, hey, they're good people, but they're genuinely idiots. But they're able to just focus on the one thing to get them to the next level. And I'm going, and that started to creep in. I'm going, what the fuck is wrong with me? You know, and the older generation doesn't believe in ADHD and ADD half the time. So they're like, oh, you're just fucking lazy, you know, so that that compounds and you just, you know, you try to make a change for a, it works for a week or two and you fall back in the same pattern. You're going, this is like, is this ever going to end? Is this this cycle of being hyperproductive for a week or two and then going into a month of just seclusion and not being able to do shit? Is it ever going to end? Realizing that my anxiety didn't go away, but it was greatly tapered off as soon as I started taking the Adderall uh, was, was huge. Um, but to your question, yeah, I wasn't hyper. Um, and I wasn't necessarily a school person either. Like there was a couple things that had to happen for me. Um, if you were a genuinely good teacher, you loved it, you're passionate, I fucked with you. Yes. If a kid talked it, like up in your class, like out of turn, I'd defend that teacher. Yeah. But if you're a fuckhead teacher who's just there collecting a check, and you don't really know the information, you're just reading off the back of that answer key, I'm gonna be the one fucking with you. Cause you're not gonna you're not gonna keep my attention long enough. And then it also just comes down to if I like it, you hyper focus. I will learn the shit out of it. If I have zero interest, there's nothing I can do to learn that subject. Yeah, I'm the same way. Yeah. I'm exactly the same way. When we used to have our trainings back when I used to work for the state. I was a supervisor for, for the access program. As a supervisor, they would give us trainings on like emotional intelligence, on like Myers-Briggs, like personality assessments. Whenever we had those trainings, I was like front row, raising my hand, like star student, like this is the shit. The minute they gave us a training on how to be a good supervisor, my ass was like, no, Check no, out. no, this is mm -hmm. terrible. Like... I felt so drained. I was like, how long is, and I loved the trainer because the trainer was always the same one and he's amazing. But I was just like, I can't, I can't do this. Like, yeah. The subject matter like makes all the difference. How you were saying that people look at the kids and they think that they're just lazy or they're just not paying attention. That's how I was able to diagnose my oldest son. My ex-husband was like, he doesn't listen. Like, I have to repeat everything. He's being lazy. And that's when I was just like, oh, shit. Like, he's literally me. So that's when I had to talk with my ex-husband. And I'm like, look, I honestly think that he might have ADHD because I see, like, all the patterns. I see everything. So let's get him checked out and see if that's the case or he is just being fucking lazy. And he was diagnosed with ADHD. Now, he gets really good grades. It's just he can't focus. So what I did as an experiment is I put him on Whole30, which is an elimination diet. Mm -hmm. Whole foods affect our ADHD so much, and people don't even realize that. Because even for me, like I know when I eat white rice, I'm super spaced out and super like lazy, no matter what time of the day it is. And doing this elimination diet, I was able to realize what my triggers were. So I, he was eight years old at the time and I had him do the whole 30 for 30 days and he started noticing and he, at eight years old, he's like, mom, I'm not forgetting things as much. Mom, I'm not as hyper anymore. Mom, like I feel good. 
And his teachers were super happy too that I made a huge difference. Once I started reintroducing the foods, like corn, people think like corn is a vegetable. It's not, it's a green mm -hmm. and it breaks down into sugar. Super hyper, like I can't at all. Doing that reintroduction, I was able to know what his trigger foods were. And then when he was at school, then I just wouldn't give him those foods. So he's right. not disruptive. Honestly, on the weekend, I don't care. And then I didn't have to put him on medication so young. Now, if as he gets older, if he needs it, that's fine. But as of right now, he's good. Yeah. He's good. And same thing with me, changing my diet. Like, I don't have to take the Adderall anymore. Like, there's some days that I'm just like, nothing's getting done. Nothing's getting done unless I take the, the medication today. But changing my diet and also microdosing mushrooms. Right. So I've experimented with the microdosing on mushrooms a few times, and but not enough to put a thumb on oh how much of a difference it's making. What I was going to ask you was when you finally had gotten diagnosed, did you go through that? Let me replay as much I can remember from my life and start to pinpoint oh oh and realize how much of all that was making sense. One hundred percent. Like school was so fucking hard for me. Like school was so hard. Who knows if I would have been diagnosed young and I was on medication, who knows what I would have been doing. Right. So I think about that too sometimes and I, I'm kind of glad that I didn't get diagnosed because I feel like it's allowed me to learn so much about so much and being well wrapped, just be a well-rounded person because I have so many constantly new interests. So I always think about that. Would I have wanted to be diagnosed earlier on? Maybe a little earlier, but I I kind of appreciate the fact that like I was not a school person either, but I I could I could memorize and recall information so easily. So I didn't do homework. I did classwork and tests. So I passed with a terrible GPA where it was, oh, if you just did your homework, you'd have like a 3.5 or higher. Oh, no, I'm just not going to do homework, though. Right. I'm um, just getting by. <laughs> you know, no, no, no. Cause I, I'm going to, I'm going to ace this test. So you know that I know the information. I'm just not going to waste my, I've always had a little problem with authority too. Yeah. So it's like, I'm not going to fucking do homework. What the fuck are you talking about? Like I'm going to, especially, especially middle school, high school. It's like, I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to go to practice. I'm going to get out of practice. I'm going to get high. I'm going to go and I'm probably going to go have sex. I'm not doing homework. Fuck Nobody homework. has time for homework. Yeah, I never did homework either. I honestly don't even know how I passed. Because I didn't do well on tests either. Okay. Were you more of like a uh, math and science or yes. in English? And... I'm great at math. So I was math all the way until they added letters. No, algebra. Fucking algebra. I love algebra. I was <laughs> as soon as I retook algebra one like two or three times. Just and it, that was that's the pinnacle of ADHD moments. It's sitting in class going. You're gonna fucking pay attention today. And three <laughs> three minutes into the fucking class, you're staring out the window. Yeah. And you're going, oh shit. And now the class is shot because I just missed the entire introductory to the lesson. I can't follow the You're really motivated. Like every school year, like the beginning of the school year, you're like, this is the I'm gonna pay attention. I have all my notebooks, I have everything organized. Like, yeah. A weekend, I'm just like back to my old self. Yeah. I actually sometimes think, though, I, I'm curious about the impact that smoking weed at such a young age had on the, the possible development of my ADHD. How old were you when you started smoking? So the first time I ever smoked, I was 11. 
Okay. Um, consistently. Consistently, consistently twelve. I was thirteen. Yeah. So like I was in middle school, and I was high functioning. Like I could be high and function very well. I can't. It changed the same time that I became aware of anxiety and depression. Like twenty three, I'd smoke and I'm fucking shot. I'm sitting there and I. I'd actually get uncomfortable. I'd be in places and like, I don't even want to be engaged in this conversation right now. Yeah, I was very high functioning. I mean, I could get up, smoke off the rip, smoke on break. I could smoke all day and get everything done. And that changed like around 23. I'm like, I don't even think I can smoke anymore. Yeah, I'm kind of like that now. I'm not a smoker because it does give me like that anxiety and just paranoia and just like not my thing. So I was like a sativa person. Mm-hmm. I always liked the head high. And then that got impossible. I couldn't smoke anything that was like sativa. I had to do the shitty body highs where I'm just like, I'm going to go to sleep now. The Adderall it helped a little bit. What's actually made a huge change for me recently is just understanding that, yeah, my anxiety is slightly amplified by ADHD, but I also have anxiety. And being aware of that has helped. And then the meditation over the last, you know, month and a half. I'm like, oh shit, I can smoke again like a functioning adult. This is kind of nice. You know, I can actually use it to relax myself and not be so dependent on the medication. Yeah, I'm not functioning at all. Like I know people that are able to like smoke all day. They're like on work calls, they're doing their thing. And I'm just like, if I smoke, I'm literally going to bed. What about working out all high? Yoga. But not, you would see, my ADHD is so much worse. Like, I will walk in and out of a room like 20 times if I'm high. Um, <laughs> for me, I love to lift high. But the, the setup has to be proper. If I smoke and then drive to the gym, nothing's getting done. I'll probably sit in the parking lot for 10 <laughs> minutes, debate on it, and then drive home. But if I pull up. I'm sitting in the car, I rip a bowl a couple times, and then walk inside before the high sets in, perfect. Then I'm going to be zoned out for an hour and a half. No, I can't. I, um, yeah, and I've actually started doing that more often because that was something that I loved doing back in the day was going to the gym and getting high because I'd get creative. I'd start looking at new ways of doing things. All of a sudden, you see me making these bullshit-ass contraptions. I'm just thinking of, like, those videos. Have you seen, like, the people just, like, swinging at the, on the gym and doing all these crazy-ass Or, shit. like, the guy who's doing the, um... He'll, like, be doing a pull-up and he's got, like, a fucking spin bike attached to his legs. <laughs> that, was, that was Seth getting, getting creative. Getting super creative, you know? You know? And the thing was, I, I even... I can still look back and remember... I never did anything that was idiotic. Like I actually figured out pretty decent things that I still use today. Kind of getting back to that recently has been has been pretty nice. Oh, and this is the other thing that it made me like I always make the shitty joke, like really good coaches, we're like pseudo scientists, like pseudo engineers because if we don't have a piece of equipment available, we have to sit there and just Oh, I got it. I figured it out. I know how to do this with something else. Um, or you figure out something that works and you go, I'm a fucking scientist. This feels so fucking good. You know, it's like it's like a nice little victory. Yeah. You know? Yeah, for sure. So you've done the microdosing with the mushrooms and you haven't really noticed because you haven't been really consistent with it. Correct. And I we've talked before, mushrooms is probably my least favorite of 
psychedelics. That's my um, baby. I know. And it's it was the first one I ever did when I was in high school. I've just had I've never had like bad trips. I've just had more negative experiences with mushrooms than I've ever had on like acid. Um acid's my baby. I love acid. That is that's the one for me and um the the way the way I actually came into doing acid. So my mom was a huge hippie, right? Huge fucking hippie. She I used to get high with my mom. Um, all the all the whole neighborhood loved coming to my house because they knew that we could get high with my mom. Um, and she was just super sweet, but she'd always tell me, "Don't do acid. Don't do acid." Why? She's like, "It's why I'm fucked. It's why my brain is fried." And so I went on this uh, birthright trip. So people don't know what birthright is. Uh, if you're Jewish, there's this thing called birthright you can do from 18 to 26. It's like a 10-day trip. You fly to Israel. They pay for the flight, stay, and it's like a guided tour. Basically, they put you in a group of 40 Jews you've never met. Um, and you just – they teach you about the history of your culture. And you see all the site. You go to Jerusalem, Tel Aviv. You go to the Dead Sea. You go to Masada. And now I'm going on this trip and I'm – I'm gonna be fucking sober for ten years now. I'm Jewish. Uh, I'm both so sides of my it's family. Ten years to trip? I, no, sorry, I said ten years. I meant ten days. Oh my god! No, no, no. that would be fucking dope, actually. Um, no, ten days. Oh my god! Um, so I'm going. Okay, I'm gonna be sober on this trip the whole time. This sucks. Um, because like I'm Jewish, but I didn't get raised. I didn't get raised in the religious aspect of Judaism, just more cultural. And I was aware of of being Jewish. But the Jewish people that I did know tended to be more just nerdy, straight edge people. So I'm like, oh, it's gonna fucking suck. And my first randomly selected roommate, we go into the room. He he looks at me as he's about to open up his uh um his luggage. He goes, "Yeah, hi." I go, "Yeah." He goes, "I go, fuck yes, I got the right roommate." <laughs> Dude is from Pennsylvania, moved out to Colorado like six months before, makes rosin. You know, he's just he was a plug. So he's got his cart, he's got flour, he's got edibles, he's got he brought everything with him. Wow. I go, you flew with that? He goes, I do this every weekend. He was a festival head. Wow. So he's on a plane every weekend, just packing his shit and going. And um, so I had my I had my weed guy for the entire trip. And then we're part of the trip, you go down to the Negev Desert, okay? And you go to this Bedouin community. So you drive down on these buses. It's in the south of Israel. You get off the bus and then you go you go on this like hour and a half long camel ride to get to this Bedouin camp. And so the Bedouins are a group of Arabs who live a very nomadic life. They live off the land. And so we're on this ride. Me and him are sharing the camel. I'm on the front. He's on the back. All of a sudden he just goes, wow. I go, what's up? He goes, the acid's hitting right now. And this is fucking amazing. So I go, do you have more? He goes, I've been waiting for you to ask me this question. <laughs> so he gives me this uh, this like gel tab. And he goes, don't take a big bite off of that. Take a small bite. Right as I go to to bite it, the ca camels walk in a funny way where they're like uh -huh. they drop. I drop the whole thing down the hatch. And I go, fuck. He goes, what happened? I go, I ate the whole thing. He goes, oh, <laughs> you're going to have a really, really good time. <laughs> so once that hits, just the sand, the dunes, everything was just sliding and moving. 
and we get there and it's this kind of like rave. The food would have been amazing, but no appetite to eat that. And then we did these little um, little activities. There was a bunch of different things. You go scorpion hunting, go drumming. There was uh, there's a movement practitioner. He got famous for being Conor McGregor's movement coach. His name was Ido Portal. One of his proteges was running this like capoeira slash movement seminar. And so we were just, it was just bullshit, cartwheels, trying to walk on your hands. And I can walk on my hands really well from like wrestling. I go into a fucking handstand and I'm just in this handstand for like minutes, just dialed in. You were able to do a handstand so, on your first trip of acid. Yes. I can walk on my hands. I can, at that point, I couldn't do a handstand at all. I couldn't stay still. I had to constantly be in motion. I'm just dead still. And these two girls go, how are you doing this? I'm like, I can't tell you. <laughs> I don't want to tell you how. And then I come down and I look right at the guy. I look him dead in his eye, the guy who was running the, the little group. And he goes, have you done this before? He goes, oh, you're tripping balls, aren't you? <laughs> he knew right away. He goes, you're tripping. That's why you're, you're, you're hyper dialed in on this. And then just to sum that up, trip was good. As soon as I start coming down, we're in the desert getting really cold. I'm like the whole time. I'm like, I can't wait to tell my mom about this. So the next day we get back to like, kind of like civilization. We get some cell phone service. I call my mom and I go, mom, guess what? She goes, you did acid. I go, how the fuck did you know that? She goes, I don't know. I had a feeling. Oh my and I go, so God. why the fuck did you tell me never to do this? She goes, because I knew you'd love it. I was like, but you told me it was fucking to fuck me up. She goes, ah, you're going to love it too much. So then after that, I started kind of playing around with it a little bit. and I enjoy it. Yeah. I've done acid twice. The first time I was like 15. No, I've done it three times. Um, I was like 15 and I didn't feel anything. It was like a stamp. I mean, I laughed. It was like giggly, whatever, but no trails or anything. And then I did it again in 2020 twice, but I didn't take that much in order to really like trip hard. And the last time I did it, it was really cool. I went to like the Dolly Museum and it was like really cool shit to like look at. But again, still like a small amount not to really go that hard. I just, I didn't like how it felt in my body. I guess because doing mushrooms, like it feels more natural. I felt there was like chemicals in my body. It was right. very weird. But let me tell you this. I had like a spiritual bath that I did while I was on acid. And let me tell you, I've like it was such an intentional, like spiritual bath, like the intention I was pouring into it and doing the whole ritual and everything. It was so cool to do that on acid. But I was just like, I don't know. And it lasts so long. Yeah. So it's definitely something where you have to, you have to not only have a day to do it, but then you need time after to recover. I wish there was a way to get paid for advocating to doing acid because I literally tell people this every time. So I think it was maybe the next time I did acid was when I had moved to Florida. I was actually living in Fort Myers and a, me and a friend did it. He freaked the fuck out, called the fucking ambulance. That was not a great experience. But the very next time um, I did it with my ex-wife, I asked her, hey, you want to try some acid? She goes, sure. So we go, we take it and we're sitting there and it starts to hit and I got like a Eh, kind of stomach. Shit will always fuck with me. Food, um, that's also just a product of being Jewish. If you're like Jewish, we have we have terrible stomachs. But uh, so we both get super nauseous. Both start fucking throwing up. 
And the, the, the throwing up just made it that much more intense that quickly. So we're laying there trying to get our bearings. And then all of a sudden she reaches across and I hope she listens to this. Val, I hope you hear this because I tell this story all the time. She like brushes my arm and I go, oh shit. I'm thinking there's no way you can have sex on acid, right? Oh my fucking God. So we try and I explain it the same way every time. And it was like a blessing and it's kind of a curse because now it's the only nothing, thing. It's nothing the, will ever match it. It's the only thing you want to, I want to do on acid now, unfortunately. <laughs> like I don't want to just do acid and go and do things or even just lay around. Like I want to have sex. It is the most, if like, if you've done, if you've had sex on like MDMA and Molly and you're like, that's amazing. This is like 50 times MDMA. It is the most amazingly boring, fantastic, vanilla, mind-blowing, entry-level sex you'll ever have. Which sounds... Why, why is it so boring? Okay. Why is it vanilla? <laughs> so, the, so the visuals are so intense that you don't want to be moving around. Because oh. the constant movement, you're like, fuck. So what are you doing? You're in the most, like, first time having missionary type sex. You're, like, barely moving your entire body. I think that first time we probably had sex for like five straight hours, finally finish and go, oh, we can do something else. Boom. She brushed my leg again. It was like, all right, let's do Never this mind. again. So that, that, that first trip and we took like two, three taps too. So we were tripping pretty hard. It was probably like 10 hours of sex, just crammed like with like a 20 minute break in between. Wow. So the last time that we spoke, you were telling me that you were going to try DMT that day. Mm -hmm. And I haven't asked you how it went because I've been waiting for today. So that day I did it. That was my third attempt. Wasn't successful that night. It wasn't? Mm -mm. It was successful the night after. You did it again the next day. Yep. So the first couple times, the first time I did what they call as a sandwich method, I, you put a little bit of weed down, put the DMT on top of the weed put a little weed on top and you're supposed to light it because you don't want to put direct flame to the DMT. It's too heat sensitive. And it's it tastes like medicine. It doesn't taste good. It's very harsh, especially if you burn it too much. It, it gets very rough to hold in. So there was a problem with that. And then the next time I went out, I bought a bucket. I bought a bucket, tried it that way, but I've only done a handful of dabs and it's always been someone else doing it. So I don't think I got the temperature right. So I had a client who goes, I have a volcano vaporizer. You want to give that a go? What's that? Volcano vaporizer is, it looks like a volcano and they attach oh, the bag to the top or you can put a hose on them. So he goes, yeah, give that a shot. So me and my roommate on that fourth attempt, third or fourth, we fill up the bag and then we take the bag off, which was nice. It was much smoother. And as soon as the bag came off, we attached the hose because we wanted to make sure that we got enough. He goes first because the first three times I go first, don't successfully break through. Trip balls. It's like being on 15 hits of acid. But it lasts like 10 minutes, right? Super quick. You're tripping your ass off. But I was still there. I was still conscious. I knew where I was. So, and I had kept going and my roommate and then another friend that I did one of the first times with, they were closer than I had gotten. So I was like, fuck you guys. You're the trial and error this time, right? So he goes and... He ends up, I'm thinking he's breaking through. His eyes are rolling back in his head and I, I moved a little bit and he kind of came back into the room. He goes, I don't know where the fuck I was, but I, I don't, he, he's still unsure if he broke through or not. What does it mean? Like broke through? So everyone who describes the breakthroughs, uh, 
not everybody, but a large percentage of people who describe a DMT breakthrough, it's getting shot out of a fucking cannon through a black hole. You end up in this empty space. And then people talk about making contact with the light elves or gnomes or whatever. You know, some sometimes they describe them as like machine elves. And they tell you in some unintelligible language that you for some reason understand, like whatever it is you need. Um, for me, I didn't quite have that. I also think that there might be another level to it that I didn't quite reach. One of the things that we found out was if you're going to do DMT, have somebody there with you, especially if you don't have a vape to do it with, because after taking a couple hits, it's hard to like hold anything. But as soon as you blast off, that person should leave the room because I feel like any type of sound can potentially pull you back because that's kind of what happened. So I do the hits and I don't remember going out. What I can remember from that portion of the trip was not being in a black space, being in a white space like this. It's not a room. It was just everything was white, kind of foggy, kind of hazy. And then periodically it was like somebody taking like a flip book of fucking channels and just changing them rapidly. So it's like you were passing through all these different spaces, different colors, different shapes. Um, sometimes it felt like you were very like Star Wars hyperspace, like the fucking lights were flashing by you. It's like Doctor Strange going through the multiverse. Right. But there was just, and, and this is like I said, this is the first part. I'm still been trying to process it. It's been probably three weeks to a month, I think about a month what that portion was. I think that was me still traveling. And then, so when I could feel some sense of my own body, I felt like I was just like laying back, head cocked, mouth wide open. Apparently that's not what happened at all. I did that for about 10 seconds. And then I was like moving around on the couch, which I don't remember moving at all. And then I jutted up, I sat up real hard and stared at him. And I stared at him for like, it's like a minute and a half. And he was still dealing with like the lows of his trip. So it started to bug him out a little bit. He goes, are you good? And when he, I, that, when he said that to me, that's when I remember coming back into the room a little bit. But having no fucking idea what was happening. I'm, I know I'm looking at him. Everything seemed like shitty video game graphics, like fucking Super Mario. Um, and then like two-dimensional. It was like somebody drew a picture for you of everything in your line of sight, but then made you look at it at an angle. Mm -hmm. So everything was almost like skewed away from you. And it was like drafting paper. There was lines and I don't know what would probably be, somebody would probably describe it as being some form of like sacred, ge uh, sacred yeah. geometry, mm -hmm. types of shapes basically laid over the top of everything. I'm going to try to do another breakthrough, I think tonight to, to try to see if I can remember more. So there's a lot of shapes, but again, it was still like the room, like you're in a TV show, but every second you're in a different TV show. Like the channel was just being constantly changed. And so I'm sitting there trying to like center myself. And so he asks me again, he goes, are you good? And I go, nope. I don't say this verbally to him. I said to my head, I go, no, it kicks the intensity up. So I'm in the room. Sometimes I'm in that white space. Sometimes I'm looking at him. Sometimes I'm looking at myself and it starts to increase and get more and more and more intense. And I've tried to find the best way to describe it, and I don't think there is, other than, you know, how flies have hundreds of eyes. It was like having hundreds of eyes all around the room, looking at everything from every angle. So I saw myself, 
at every slight little angle, him, the couch, upside down. And then I almost felt like I was stuck in like some kind of a time loop where I'd hear him go, are you good? And that would just increase the level of like angst. My anxiety started to like mm-hmm. take off and it just kept getting more intense. And I'm going, oh shit, like watch me be the first person who does DMT and never breaks out of it, right? Watch, right? <laughs> Immediately where the brain goes, like yeah. this is going to be forever. Yeah, this so, is my life now. <laughs> this is my life and I'm freaking, right? It's getting progressively worse and it's like a loop. Are you good? Are you good? No. And then finally I just go, yeah, I'm fine. If this is going to be life, you're going to learn how to deal with it. You can't control this. You're just going to accept it and then learn to make the best of it if this is what it's going to be. Soon as I was able to center that and not fight it and just understand that it was part of the experience and you just posted something about this like yesterday, <laughs> um, it was like, oh, I kind of know where I am and I can relax in this. Yeah, you surrendered. You know? Um, so for me, that was one of the biggest takeaways that I took from it was just let go of so much shit. Yeah. Stop controlling. Right. Right. The other thing was, oh, the room disappeared at times too. Like all the permanent structures, the walls, the ceilings would be gone. The objects were still there and the objects were constantly changing color, texture, size, shape. They were so crazy. Sometimes they were two dimensional. Sometimes they were three dimensional. Sometimes they were probably other dimensional. I don't know. It felt like you were just floating in space. So the ego death of it was crazy. I'm looking, I can remember looking at him and then going, is that me? Or is that him? I have no idea. I have zero idea who I am anymore. And then I start, I remember having the thought going, has it always been like this? Have I always been him? Has he always been me? And it was just this crazy fucking experience. And as I start to come down off of it, the only thing I can say is, what the fuck was that? He looks at me, he goes, you went somewhere. I go, oh yeah, for sure. I was like, but you fucking pulled me back. He goes, huh? I was like, you know how I pulled you back into the room? You pulled me back into the room. So we were like, hey, Next time we do it, do it, and then we'll like make sure the person succeeds in getting through and then leave. Try not to make any noise. So that's what you guys are doing tonight? Yeah, we were actually supposed to do it last night. I wanted to do it again before we came on, but it's just the day got, got, got away from us. Um, there was this big sense of, and I think this is a big part of the ego death, everything is everything. You are everything, Every, right? And this was kind of a confirmation to me in a way of something else that we kind of talked about on our last conversation. And that's the concept of panantheism, which for people who don't know what panantheism is, um, it's right. So we have, so we know what monotheism is. It's the belief in just a singular God type entity, right? So we typically think Judaism, Christianity, or like Islam. And then we know that like polytheism is, you know, everything, you know, Nordic beliefs, Roman, Greek, like belief in multiple gods. Um, Panantheism, and this is controversial, very controversial, but is believed by some people to be the root belief system um, in Judaism Um, and like the pre-rabbinical Judaism. So this is like the pre-exile Judaism. This is when it wasn't religion, like, you know, structured. It was still just much a part of like indigenous cultural practice that everything is connected. Right. People believe, you know, Judaism to be like the root of monotheism, but that's actually not true. Um, It actually starts in Mesopotamia. But there are some people who believe that the earliest Jews who were known as Hebrews or Israelites 
had this belief of panentheism and it kind of shows up in in hebrew uh in scripture in the way they refer to god because they always refer to god sometimes singularly but plural they refer to god in a plural sense very often and so the so panentheism is something that people who typically have a more spiritual approach to life kind of believe or at least i know some people do and that everything is connected and that everything is a part of god right or you know god or everything is part of the universe or whatever it is we are all connected we are all made of the same things right which makes sense because i don't know about you did you ever at any point in time believe in coincidence i mean when i was younger right Right. you don't i don't anymore i feel everything is has a reason there's no coincidences at all right like whatever car you drive i'm sure once you bought that car you start seeing that car everywhere type of thing the minute you want that car you know you, start seeing you see it everywhere, everywhere. You're like you manifest and you draw everything in mm-hmm. um so that dmt trip kind of to me was like that makes much more sense that this concept of everything being in some way shape or form connected and always being pulled at by everything um which was and like I'm not a re- very I'm not a religious person at all, but it was a it was kind of a comforting feeling. So like that actually feels nice, nice and right, you know. Um, but and then in the direct aftermath of the DMT, things that I had wanted to do for a long period of time, like make certain changes in my life, I was able to just start to implement. So the meditation became a huge thing. Writing things down, I don't write shit down. I always do memory recall for everything. Immediately started making lists and and notating things. Um, And then also immediately experiencing a difference in how my anxiety will manifest. It is much more a thought than a physical manifestation now. So I'm able to catch it, go, oh, that's an anxious response due to da-da-da-da-da, instead of having that tight chest, that body feeling. because again, I feel like it was just a part of going, oh, everything is the way it's gonna be. It was very comforting to be able to let go. And for someone with anxiety and someone with ADHD where you always wanna overanalyze things, to have some peace of mind, but on like a deeper level than just, oh, I'm stimulated from Adderall right now, was, I literally just say life-changing for it. That's amazing. I need to do some DMT. I have it. I mean, just so we know. <laughs> we want to do it right now. <laughs> <laughs> so let's do it on this podcast. Yeah. So I think without doing the DMT, meditation probably wouldn't have came into my life because I've had the thought to do it um, plenty of times. Just had no belief in the ability to actually do it. So between realizing that meditation is just, if you're doing it, you're succeeding. Right. Right. No matter what, like it's, You've succeeded just by doing it and you will get better at it. Um, just like anything else, like the more you practice, the more you train, you yeah, get better. Exactly. Because I know having ADHD and sitting there and trying to meditate is a fucking joke when I started. Mm-hmm. But I was committed. I was like, I'm going to get this down. You know, I started that night. That same night before I went to bed, I tried meditating. It was like we talked about with the ADD or the ADHD, the executive dysfunction right it was like whatever remained of that it like pulled it right out from underneath me it was like oh if you want to do something you're just going to do it now so i immediately implemented 
note taking, writing down lists, writing down thought. Like I carry a little notebook with me all the time now and write shit all the time. I meditate twice a day now, which it's it's fucking insane how much of a difference that makes. You want to know actually the craziest thing? Me and my ex-wife had a less than ideal separation. And I definitely carried a lot of like ill will towards her for a little bit. Um, and then it got to the point where I just kind of put all that shit underneath, put it in a box and threw it away and never thought about it. I was sitting there one day just doing some studying, taking some notes, just finished meditating. And I go, you know what? I don't want to be mad at her anymore. Reached out to her, checked in with her, saw how we're doing. Now we actually have like good communication. And one of the things I was like, I want to talk to her about was she had always tried to get us to meditate and we never did it. So I said, Hey, have you like meditated in the last year that we've been apart? She goes, no, I go, you need to do it. You need to do it. Cause I know how, like, I know her personal struggles and I was going, it made such, it's made such a difference for me in such a short amount of time that I know that this is going to make a difference for you. And so I sent her some like guided meditations to try. She did it. The next day she goes, I literally had a breakdown after that first 15 minutes. She was, and I think she's like on a week now of doing it. And I've just like checked in with her to see how it's going. And she goes, it makes such a difference now. So like people say this all the time about the people who get into meditation, they'll never not meditate again. I 100% believe that. Like, Yeah. Once you're in it and you see the benefits, you could gain so much. Like once you start realizing that you could open yourself up to literally like tap into the different dimensions, tap into like manifesting things and start feeling it in your body. And there's just so much more that you could do when you're able to calm the mind mm. that it it's, it's life changing. <laughs> yeah. So I haven't gotten there at all yet. Right. right. I mean, you just started. Yeah, I mean, just like to be month. meditating twice a, twice a day. That's amazing. You know, what the immediate benefits for me are, it's like when it's like when the the mushrooms are kicking in. That immediate like smiley, giddy, euphoric feeling. Like I catch myself just smiling like an asshole, being like, "Oh, this feels." Throughout good. the day, immediately after, but even throughout the day, and then also being exposed to something that I know for a fact prior will give me an anxiety feeling, like a physical manifestation of anxiety, where it's like, "Oh, I don't feel great." the The physical feeling does not happen. The, the mental part might, like, I'm aware of it, of course, but I go, wow, like, my body's fine. Right. It's like you've, you've calmed your, your nervous system. Yes, which is a huge issue with yes. people with ADD. And actually, that's another thing about people with ADD. Or, so ADHD, they don't even classify it anymore because of what we talked about before, the misconception that you have to be hyper to have ADHD. Right. They just call it ADD now. Mm-hmm. People with ADD um, or ADHD, whatever – I think it's the other way around. What? I think it's ADHD, not ADD. I think they got rid of the ADD because the H doesn't mean necessarily hyper. It could mean hyper focus. Okay, that makes sense. So you're right. You might be right about that. Yeah. Um, Fuck. Now I lost my train of thought. Sorry. No, it's good. It's good. Um, (laughs) This is real life. This is what it is. We got a podcast with two people with ADHD. Yeah, this is the the daily struggle. You You tell the same story all the time? Oh, yeah, all the yeah. time. And then do people call you out on it? Like, yeah. yeah, you've told me this like four times. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because you forget. Yeah, 100%. But also you get <laughs> But excited. you're really excited. You're really excited to tell something. So you're like, I want to tell you again. But they're like, you've heard so much. Fuck you, just listen. Just again. pretend like yeah. you've never heard this story in um, your life. Yeah, exactly. Uh, fuck, what was the... Okay, so the misconception of being hyper. 
oh, so people with ADD or ADHD, we don't recover well. Like physical recovery, it's hard for us to recover because our nervous system is always kicked into a sympathetic state versus being parasympathetic, being at rest, that when most people, right, are able to just kind of go into a normal calm state, you know, uh, we struggle to do that. So we can have this more chronic type of fatigue, um, kind of mental fogginess, just because, which manifests physically as well. Um, and, you know, which can also cause more muscle tightness, right? People can have very tight, like overly worked muscles because their body's never able to like fully relax. And one of the things I have most of, and I've been having my clients do this for years, is I tell them, you're gonna finish every single workout with either like a 15 minute walk in a recovery zone, um, like after a uh, after a very intensive workout or doing some box breathing, some two to five minute parasympathetic breathing with your legs propped up, focusing on longer exhales than the inhales, very similar to what you're trying to do when you meditate because it brings you down into a, an immediate recovery state. So instead of you going, and this is really important for those who go to the gym in the morning, you go to the gym in the morning, and if you're a very busy person who has to shower at the gym, immediately go to work and sit in this fucking wonderful Miami traffic, you're cussing out the drivers, you go to work stressed out, then you have kids, right? So you have to go pick, you're constantly in this elevated state. Your nervous system is never taking a break throughout the day. So you might not actually begin your recovery till right before you go to bed. And then you're wired. You're wired, but your body's just overworked. And then you get CNS fatigue, which is a huge cause of people having, you know, stupid injuries occur because of CNS fatigue more than anything. Um, So just by finishing a workout with five minutes of box breathing can immediately make such a huge difference. It's like a non-negotiable for me. And what is box breathing? So, so box breathing is just the simplest way to do it is just to lay on your back. Um, I always recommend doing it on a bench. You prop your legs up over the bench so that your, your ankles can kind of freely hang over the edge. If you just put it up on something, um, like, like a box where you, the whole of your foot is touching, you're still a little tense. So you let your feet hang over, you close your eyes, you relax the body and it's, honestly it's meditation right you know so just typically i go to like a four second inhale a two second hold and then like a six to eight second exhale repeat it for five minutes when i make people do that a lot of times they get up going oh shit like they feel like how many rounds do you recommend to do that after a workout five minutes five minutes two minutes is the minimum five minutes is pretty much where you'll get the majority of your like maximum benefit But for people, it's like a non-negotiable. Like I want you to do these types of breaths because it's day in and day out. It's going to make one of the biggest differences. And what we talked about earlier in the podcast was with people not being overtrained per se, but being under-recovered, you're starting recovery immediately versus waiting 10 hours post-workout to begin it. It's definitely something that people should implement more. I'm going to start doing that because I do breath work. That's pretty much breath work, but what you're asking them to do, right? So I do that, you know, either before or after my meditation, depending on how I'm feeling in the morning. Mm -hmm. And I've never done it after my workout. So I'm going to do that. It's, it's, it's very, very important. So, and the way I got exposed to that was, um, all good coaches look up to other amazing coaches. 
And there was a particular coach that I was drawn to about four years ago. His name is Dr. John Russin. He uh, works with a lot of professional athletes, fighters, Olympic. He's done a little bit of everything. He's uh, He has his doctorate in physical therapy. And he had – I had bought one of his programs, put myself through it, saw amazing results. Uh, and one of his things was his recovery day workouts and his post-workout recovery being either – uh, the box breathing or like just recovery walks and by soon anything that I make a client do I've done it and I've experienced I've done a good three week minimum trial on every new thing that I'm doing I put myself through it for three weeks before I start to implement with clientele and I notice the difference within the, by the end of the first week Right. That's why then you'll know exactly, you know, you buy into it. Exactly. You know, that's what everything is getting people to buy into the, to things. Like we're always being challenged to buy into something. You just got to buy into the right things. Right. You know, like what people say, Oh yes, some people are brainwashed. Everybody's brainwashed. You just want to get brainwashed by the right shit. That is true. You know, like you're going to get brainwashed to some degree. Just hopefully you can get brainwashed by the right thing and it's not Herbalife. <laughs> <laughs> or uh q and uh, conspiracies um well we won't go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> that'll add an hour to the podcast yes for sure. for sure for sure for sure well seth thank you so much for joining me today this was amazing i love i'm very proud of us we you know we definitely went down a couple tangent routes but it's okay um, yeah. I don't think we lost anybody. If you're still with us. <laughs> yeah. I, I think we did a decent job. Um, I, I'm actually, per I'm very proud of myself in particular. Cause you're of, very, you, my, not moving, like just sitting there. <laughs> I know. I thought about maybe having to throw on like a straight jacket just to like calm the, the, the movement. Um, but no, not not too many lost tangents. Well, you're going to see the more you meditate, you're going to start being a little bit more because you've always had self-awareness. You're going to become even more self-aware. Mm -hmm. Your body is going to be more calm. I can't wait to see what happens with your road rages in like the next couple of months. Oh, they've already reduced. Yeah. No, no, they've already reduced. <laughs> like instead of me being like this motherfucker, it's more just like this fucking asshole. Yeah, exactly. You know? And it'll get, it get less and less. And for me, sometimes like I do sometimes still like you fucking idiot. But sometimes I just laugh, like, I don't know what day you're having, like, whatever. All right, Seth, so where can people find you if they're interested on having an amazing coach or if they have any questions about anything that we talked about today? Okay, so my Instagram handle is sn underscore lifestyle performance. You can contact me there. Um, right now, I'm training out of Gotham Gym, which is on Purdy Avenue in South Miami. But I also uh, train down at Paradise Gym in Pinecrest. And I also do home visits. Um, so if anybody is interested in, you know, just learning a little bit more about, you know, the the body. And again, I'm uh, my my training style is about movement, corrective exercise, and then getting you to perform as like people should. So you want to build muscle and lose weight. That's honestly that comes naturally that's after the easy one, shit. Yeah. It's but you want to like move and be out of pain. That's to me the biggest victories with clients. One client who has had back pain for six years saying, hey, I like was on my feet all day and didn't have back pain and now it's been reduced. Or I had a recent client who never could jump rope in his life and accomplished jump roping within about a month, right? Was able to get like 10 consecutive jumps 
and the the way his face lit up and like that's so rewarding that's so much more rewarding than oh look at the size of my bicep so if you guys want to 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 move properly workout imbalances which are important to prevent injury to improve performance improve recovery um like i said you can contact me sn underscore lifestyle performance I'll put my phone number on here. I don't care. 786-570-6099. Just reach out to me. Um, you know, first session is always on the house. Complimentary assessment. Um, and we can get some work in. Awesome. Well, again, I thank you so much. This has been so much fun. And remember, guys, it's not all love and light. <laughs>